walk in victory. How many want to do that? Because you don't want to do the opposite of that, right? You know what the opposite of that is, right? <laughs> you have a victory walk or a walk in defeat. I don't think that any of us would say that we want to walk in defeat. We don't want to be defeated even one single day. I don't believe, as Christ followers, we have to. I believe we can walk in victory every single day. The reason I believe that is rooted in Scripture. It's not my opinion. It's what I believe to be truth from the Word of God. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. There was a guy named Yogi Berra. Anybody know who Yogi Berra is? He was known for baseball, I guess, but I think the things he's really known for is, the, is what they call Yogiisms. These little things that he said that he didn't mean to say, but he said it anyway, and it didn't come out exactly the way he meant it. They were funny. There were a lot of them. I can't go into all of them today. You can look them up. One of them was, uh, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> He's the one that said, it's like deja vu all over again. <laughs> and he said many other things, too, that were funny. But one thing he said, I just saw it, I just thought I'd apply it. And I was going to put this quote on the screen that, that he said. He said this, if you don't know where you're going, you're likely to end up someplace else. <laughs> and even though that's a little humorous and it not being the most artful way of saying what he was trying to say, in a way, if you think about it, so if you don't know where you're going, it's pretty likely that you're going to wind up someplace else. There's a survey that I saw also that uh, it's been uh, in one of the, the Christian magazines that I, that I look at. It was uh, summarized. It was a pretty detailed thing. But uh, basically what it was, the question was, what is your purpose in life? What is your purpose in life? There were a lot of answers. Or, and these were just random people that they approached. It wasn't a scientific survey or anything. But one person said, I can't say I know my purpose. I think after I die, I'll find out what my reason for living was. I'm like, another one said, my purpose. Okay, let me think about that for a minute. My purpose. What is my purpose? And thought about it for a minute. And the final answer they gave was, I don't know. I don't know what my purpose is. And then there were some people that gave answers that they, they had some idea of what their purpose was for being here. But a lot, and of course, some of those were good things, like want to raise a good family and have a nice home and. And things of that nature, those are fun. But then there were some answers, a lot of answers, centered around themselves. Like, I want to uh, enjoy life. I want to have fun. I want to, uh, to be able to have as much fun in as short a period of time as possible. To enjoy my life. And I guess all of those are, are, are good things in their own way. But it was a lot of the answers were about me and I and, and, and what the purpose is and what it can do for me. And so I started to think about that in the context of things I've been studying a lot lately in, in the writings of the Apostle Paul. And I thought, what does the Apostle Paul say had become the purpose of his life? If he was answering that survey, what would he say? And I think there's a lot of things that he would say. But one thing we know about the Apostle Paul is that in his life, where he was in the writings that we saw from him, which was in the late first century, typically mid to late first century, that he was no longer satisfied with the present level where he was. His accomplishments or achievements, whatever they may have been, any past successes, he was not satisfied with that. 
his ultimate goal was to find and, and attain what Christ had in store for him in the future. Not right now what Christ had in store for him, but to find out what, to pursue what Christ had in store for him in the future now. That also was involving things in his life that were God's purposes, God's plan, and the activities that God wanted to develop in his life in the present moment as well. But his eyes were set on the future. And it involved for Paul, really, I mean, if you look at, at all of the things he wrote in, a, in, a, in the total, it involved a very personal, wholehearted, complete cooperation with what God wanted to do in his life. He was a willing participant. And even more than that, he, he wanted, he was, he was completely and totally all in for what God wanted to do in his life. And Paul gives us, in the book of Philippians, in his letter to the church at Philippi, in the third chapter is where we're going to be today, there's a lot of things, I'm going to touch on a couple of them that Paul wrote, but, but about living a victorious Christian life. Some of these verses, many of you may have heard, many may be hearing them for the first time today, I don't know. They're not, they're, they're popular, a couple of the verses are popular in the uh, in Christian culture, if you will. So they're, they're known to many, and many of you may have these committed to memory. But it's going to be Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. That's where we're, we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to be reading, when I read the scripture today, from the Amplified Version, because I believe it gives us a little additional insight to the scripture. But you can read it from any, any version, and the message is the same. But there's five things, I think, in those verses that Paul's talking about that give us an outline. And it's like unconventional from what you might hear about messages like this, about how we walk in victory, how we live a victorious life. But this is what... I believe Paul's saying five things. The first one is, if we're going to walk in victory, we must face our deficiencies. We must, as believers, we've got to face our deficiencies. Now, this is what uh, the first uh, verse of that passage, verse 12, and part of verse 13 says, again, this is the amplified version. It says, not that I've already obtained it, this goal of being Christ-like. Very important. Remember that part there was in parentheses. Or have already been made perfect, that I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet. That's part of verse 13. Now, it's amazing to me how humbly the Apostle Paul admits that he's not arrived. I'm going to use air quotes. I know, does that drive you crazy when people do that? <laughs> but he hasn't arrived. He's saying that I, I have not arrived. Now remember, Paul had an after-ascension encounter with Jesus. In fact, if the Scripture says he's the only one that actually saw or Jesus appeared to after that time, and he was the last person that Jesus appeared to. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, if you want to look that up. I don't have that to read, but he was the last person that saw Jesus. Now, Paul was also a wonderful communicator of the gospel. Many, many 
miracles were performed by God through his hands and his ministry. Yet, in spite of all that, Paul knows he's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's nothing special. He's just another man doing what God is leading to do. So followers of Jesus that are here today, or those that want to be, followers of Jesus, people of God, if we ever feel like we have arrived spiritually or are content, put it this way, with our current spiritual condition, we find ourselves in a perilous position. I believe Paul said this very clearly. So walking in victory, we want to walk in victory, we want to live an overcoming, victorious life in Christ. It begins with a full acknowledgement that we have not arrived. That we've not arrived. And that, oh, further than that, we need to be pursuing more of God and His truth and His word. We need to always be in pursuit of that. So we need to face our deficiencies. We're going to walk in victory. We must also focus, laser-like, I would say, focus on the prize. So living a victorious Christian life is not a, uh, a sprint or a hundred-yard dash. It's a distance run. It's a, it's a marathon, if you will. And so I want to ask everybody this question today. You don't have to answer that would be confusing if everybody shout out the answer. <laughs> but, but this is a serious question I want you to think about. What is the prize you're running after? What is the, what's the prize you're running for? Now, a lot of people think, well, we're, you know, I know that verse. I, I know what Paul said. But no, I'm not asking you what he said. I'm asking you to think right now in your mind, what is the answer? What is the prize that you're running for? What is it? Are you running to make it to heaven? Some people, not saying anyone here, but some people, Scripture even talks about this, some people are trying to make it to heaven by the thinnest of margins. That they want to get there, but that's pretty much it. And, and, and I guess, I mean, I, 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 getting to heaven is a big thing. It's important. But are, or are you running to perhaps make money or to achieve uh uh, building a business and having uh, financial su- success, financial security, or are you trying to build a perfect family, uh, have, a, have a good, successful life? Now, now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things I just mentioned. In fact, I would say they're uh, worthy things to, uh, to set your sights on. But there's nothing wrong with any of those things if they're kept in the proper spiritual perspective. I'm going to make that very clear. Outside of them being in the right spiritual perspective, there's a whole lot wrong with pursuing all that stuff. We're trying to get into heaven just by the, as the nursery rhyme said, the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. You know, you want to be at the front of the line, right? I do. I, want to, I, I probably won't be, but I'm going to try to be. But that's what, I mean, so all of the things, any other pursuit, regardless of what it is, those things and others were not the ultimate goal of should not be for us as Christ followers. Now, Paul wrote in verse 12, he was running, and this is the quote in the Amplified Version, so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. Why did God take a hold of you if he has a hold of you? 
save you. Did he do that so you can go to heaven and spend eternity with him? Okay, that's good. Or be spared from an eternal separation from God, which is hell. There's two choices, by the way. I, always, I don't have many opportunities to say this, so now I'm going to say it this time. There's a heaven and there's a hell, folks. They're both real. We talk a lot more about heaven than hell. They're both real. We're all going to one of the two destinations. That's truth. That's not Pastor Billy. That's fact. Okay? If you believe this at all, that's the truth. We want to go to heaven, of course. That's great. I mean, that's... But is, but is that... And it certainly it provided a pathway to heaven for us. Why did God take hold of us? Why did he save us? Well, here's the thing. I believe, and I believe Paul talks about this. He saved us. He wants to take hold of us because he wants to make you like his son, Jesus. Right now in the present. That's what the goal is. That's what the whole thing is. That's why he did it. For us, for you and I, every one of us, to be more and more like Jesus. See, the goal of every true Christ follower. Now, I'm not saying Christian. Mark my, you notice how I say this a lot, I think. I'm talking about a follower of Christ. Not of somebody who's accepted Jesus as their Savior. I'm talking about a Christ follower, a true Christ follower. The goal of them is, or if you're a true Christ follower, this is your goal, and it always should be to be more like Jesus. That's it. It doesn't get much more complicated than that. Now, Paul writes about this in other places. That letter to the church at Philippi, uh, there are other churches he planted or ministered to. Uh, the Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, those books you'll find, I'm going to read you three scriptures that just sort of solidify. This was Paul's thinking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. This is what he wrote, Galatians 4, 19. Oh, my dear children, I feel as though I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. What that's saying is, Paul, it's like birth pains. He, and, it's, and, and, and there's various translations of that that, that that would really illuminate that if you look at that verse. But it's like he, he, he wants so much for us to be like Christ, to be Christ-like, that it pains him. He wants to, he wants to see Christ fully developed in our lives. How is Christ fully developed in our lives? To be like Jesus. That's how you achieve that. Ephesians 4.13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature, say mature, we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, what that is saying is, again, we want to be, he, he is encouraging us to be mature in the Lord, to measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. How do we do that? The way we do it is to be like Jesus, to pursue that. The way you do that is to follow him. You've got to be a follower. You've got to be a disciple. Colossians 1.28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, Paul writes, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Do you see the theme? Do you see the through line that Paul is using throughout all of these letters to the different churches that he wrote to? Be like Jesus. 
much as he had to be tempted. I know because Paul, look, he was a man. He was a man, a woman, whoever it was back then. No one was exempt from temptation, including Jesus. Paul was tempted. You think, well, he was the Apostle Paul, man. No, he was tempted with all kinds of stuff, I'm sure. He had to be tempted to say, but he didn't. They had to be tempted to say things like, well, I press on, I'm pressing on to get out of prison. I got to get out of prison, or I'm pressing on so I can get better travel arrangements so I don't have to go on these rickety ships and wind up in shipwrecks. Or I'm pressing on to get a better security detail so I can not be captured all the time and, and catch all these beatings that I have. He didn't say any of that. You know what he said in summary, what Paul said through all of these writings? He presses on because he wants to be like Jesus. That's it. That's the standard. Now, he wrote it in a lot of eloquent ways, but that's the message. Becoming like Jesus. Now, listen, this is an important point I'm making right here. Becoming like Jesus, which starts with becoming a true follower. I mentioned true. A true follower of Jesus is the most significant thing that you will ever do in your life. It's not going to be the birth of your children. That's significant. That's a big thing. It's not going to be any other milestone event, no matter what it might be. The most significant thing that anyone can do is a true is, is becoming a true Christ follower. Becoming like Jesus. That's the most significant thing you will ever do in your life. And if you succeed at that, if I succeed in that, if we succeed at becoming like Jesus, everything in our life will fall into place. I want to make sure I'm clear about this. I did not say, for anyone that might want to misunderstand, I didn't say everything's going to be perfect. I didn't say there weren't going to be some things that you're going to have to deal with along the way. What I said, and I stand by it, and I believe it can be proven as a testimony of my life and the testimony of many of you in here, that when you try every day and you're making your point and that the goal of your life is to become like Jesus, things start falling into place. There's a man in this audience that I spoke with not that long ago. You remember that, Corey? Well, if you do, when I talked to you at my house, and that was just, we were talking about trying to figure out how to express living for God and what it does, and it just sometimes, things just start working out differently. You can't sometimes put your finger on, sometimes you can, but just sometimes you just think that things start ordering themselves. That's God working in your life. Now again, it's not without trouble. It's not going to be without things that you're going to have to deal with. Please don't misunderstand me. But I am saying, and it is clear, that things will start falling into place if you are setting that as your goal. So marriages. I had somebody talk with me two or three times in the last few weeks about praying for their marriage just to help a little bit. Just asking for prayer for my marriage. You know what? They want to, and one of the prayers was, we just want God to be first in our marriage. I think that's what the scripture says, I think that's what we should do. We should put God first in our marriage. You know how you do that? Become more like Jesus. If you become more like Jesus as a husband, you will be a better husband. If you become more like Jesus as a wife, you will be a better wife. Better husband, better wife, better marriage. Better husband, better wife, better marriage. How do we get there? It starts with us. Become more Christ-like. This is what Paul is saying. That's how you walk in victory. The 
marriages that will improve will be better husbands, will be better wives, will be better than parents. You will be a better parent the more Christ-like you are. End of story. You want what's best for your kids? Be more Christ-like in your own life. Pursue that. Nothing else. Pursue that. You want to be uh, uh, an influence on your children where they'll be better citizens and they will be successful in life? Start with being more Christ-like in yours. And ultimately, they will be more Christ-like in theirs. Teach them to be like Jesus. We'll be better. In fact, for all of you who work for somebody, if everybody that has a job is working for somebody, they know who their boss is. Everybody pretty much knows always who the boss is. Whoever your boss is will have a better employee if you become like Jesus. They'll say, man, there's something about that person. There's something about, I don't know what it is necessarily, but that's a good employee. Because I'm becoming more like Jesus. I'm going to be a better employee. Opposite of that's true too. What if you're a boss and you're leading people or managing people? They'll say, you know what? I don't know what it is, but he's he's a really or she's a really good boss. She's a really good manager. He's he's really a good manager. I really I like that. Well, you know why? Because you're going to be a better boss if you're more like Jesus. This came through. <laughs> this I mean, it's everything. You'll be better students. You'll be better friends. You will be better everything the more you become like. Jesus. This is what Paul is saying, and this is what it is at its core to walk in victory. So you've got to face your deficiencies. You need to focus on the prize, and if we're going to walk in victory, we must forget about the past. Who needs help doing that? Something might hear every day about my past. And it's not me talking, and it's not Jesus speaking to me. It's not the Holy Spirit getting in me. It's the devil. <laughs> It's Satan, man. He's going to lie, lie, lie like crazy. He's going to try to pull you back and live in the past. Philippians 3.13, the next verse in our passage today. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet. But one thing I do. And Paul, man, Paul had a past to forget about. Did he not? This is the persecutor and killer of Christians, man. He stood around and watched Christians being stoned. He was tracking them down. That's when God met him on the road to Damascus because he was heading up there to find and persecute Christians. This guy was a bad man. I'm sorry to say it. He was. Short of the power of God, turning his life around and turning him into the great apostle that he was, he was a bad guy. You don't think he had to struggle with that, thinking about all the stuff he had done? But here's what he said, and he wrote it because I believe he lived by it. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Praise God. If you want to walk in victory, folks, you're going to have to forget some stuff. I'm going to, and you're going to have to. That's just it. You cannot travel down a road of victory if you want to travel down the road of victory living and overcoming living in your life and be looking in the rearview mirror. Any more than you can do it if you're driving down I-95 and expect to not be off the shoulder and run off the road if you're driving down I-95 and I'm driving looking in the rearview mirror. How's that going to work? It doesn't. You've got to look ahead and you've got to forget what's behind. There's a great story that, uh, that, that 
many of you probably know who Roger Bannister is. Maybe some of you do or don't. Most people probably don't know who John Landy is because you don't ever remember the guy that lost. <laughs> but these two guys are running the one-mile race. They called it ultimately the Miracle Mile. They're running. And I watched a video on YouTube about this, an old black-and-white film that showed the whole race. And these guys are running the race. And the whole race, John Landy is ahead. I think he was from New Zealand. This, this race occurred in Vancouver, Canada. He's running, 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 and he's just setting the pace, and he's ahead. Roger Bannister's in second place, and just all the way around, four times around the track for a one-mile race. And they're running, and so about three or four times, I remember three at least, and I believe it was a fourth time, not including the last one. John Landy was out in front. There's nobody in front of him. He's running, and he takes a look behind him like this. You can see his head. You can see it on the video. You look at him. He's running, he's running. Every once in a while, he turns his head back to see who was behind him. And as they turn around the last turn and they're coming down the home stretch of the race, Landy's ahead and he's looking and he looks back one more time. And as he does, Roger Bannister passes him on the right-hand side. When he turned his head back around, all he saw was the back of him and he went on to win the race. And in fact, set the world's record at the time for the first sub-four-minute mile. Now, <laughs> this is the essence of what Paul is saying in all of this too. Don't look back. That picture you see right there is the actual picture of him turning to the left as he's passing him. Don't look back because what God wants to do is just go pass you by. Don't look back. Look ahead. John Landy should have not been turning his head to see what was behind him. He should have had his eyes focused on the prize, the goal, the finish line, and running with everything he had to get there. That's what he should have done, but he's looking back. some people that are hearing me today who've been in prison, I'm sure. Jail or prison or both. Okay, so what? You may have done things that, that are even more serious than that that you didn't get caught for. You may have had catastrophes, serious things that you've done. So what? It's forgiven. If you leave it at the altar under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, He forgives you. It's in your past. Don't look back. Look ahead. That's what Paul's saying. Forget the past. You're going to live in victory, you've got to forget some stuff. And also, when you look in the past, the tendency is to look for excuses. Well, the reason that happened is, well, I, you know, it was their fault. Forget the excuses, too. If you're not looking back, you don't need to worry about making excuses. The only thing that you could do is remember what happened and say, I am going to learn from that and move on in Christ. Other than that, forget it. Forget the past. So you got to face your deficiency. Focus on the prize. Forget the past. And you also, if you're going to walk in victory, you have to keep forging ahead. You have to keep taking steps ahead. Paul writes this. Back to the 13th verse. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on. I forge ahead toward the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. No matter what your
your circumstances are today or any day, no matter what kind of difficulty you're facing, health challenges, financial challenges, problems in your marriage, issues with your children, it does not matter what it is, you must press on. You must press on. You must reach forward, as Paul said. You must give everything to the race. Professional athletes say, that's a term that we heard a lot probably, uh, we're going to leave it all on the field. Anybody ever heard of that? All the training, all the weightlifting, all the blood, sweat, and tears and practice that they do for one hour of competition or whatever it is, they come out there and they leave it all on the field. We need to do that as Christ followers. We need to be able to look back and say, we left it all on the field. We left it all out there. Every bit of effort that I put to become like Jesus, I have left it all there. That's what I want to do. I want to leave it all on the field. I think to live a victorious life, you have to do that. You have to be all in. So let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's go for it like Paul did. Praise team, if you could come as we wrap up here. So face the deficiencies. Focus on the prize. Forget the past. Forge ahead. And then the last thing I want to share with you today is if we're going to walk in victory, we cannot we have to forego comparisons. We have to, we cannot be comparing things. So Paul said again, I press on toward the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The very next verse, Philippians 3.15 says this, all of us who are mature, pursuing spiritual perfection, by the way, it does not say attaining or arriving. I think we don't have that verse, but uh, I'll, I'll read it to you. I didn't have that one today on the slide. But all of us who are mature pursuing spiritual perfection should have this attitude. The attitude of pressing on toward the goal to win the heavenly prize. We should all have this attitude. And if in any respect you have a different attitude that God will make clear to you. These are important. And the reason why is the goal of becoming more Christ-like does not just apply to church leaders. It doesn't just apply to what some people call super Christians. I don't think that's a term that really is applicable, but there are people that use it. It is the goal of every believer to press on, to have that attitude. And Paul is teaching this as an expectation for every follower of Jesus. That's what he's teaching. You want to walk in victory, here's the bottom line. As Christ followers, we all are taught Everything that is taught, if you look at it and, and put it all together, everything is in this life here on earth. Everything, folks. Now, you may not agree with that, and if you don't, I'd be happy to discuss it with you. Everything in life is worthless in comparison with knowing Jesus Christ and becoming like Jesus. Everything. Every single thing. It doesn't matter what it is. Now, there's a variety of gifts and callings that each of us have, but there's only one attitude. One attitude that we need to have when it comes to growing spiritually, and that is pursue Christ above all else. Pursue Christ above everything. And there are many people that live to compare. Some people will like to compare others and Whatever it is, this person has more money than I do, or this person has a better job than I do, or they have better clothes than I do, or they uh, are more educated, have more connections.
attractive than I am. It goes on and on. And here's one. They're more spiritual than I am. Or even more dangerous, actually. They're less spiritual than I am. Comparisons are not necessary. Everything, no matter what it is, is worthless when you compare it to what we have in Jesus Christ. So there are some people, and I believe I've met many of them in my life, and I used to be one of them, and I think I struggle with not being one of them every day. There are some people who don't walk in victory because they spend so much time looking at others and pursuing earthly things that they lose sight of the objective. And the objective is the goal that Paul talked about. That's the objective. Pursue Christ above everything else. Be like Jesus. Get your day started with how can I become more like him today? How can I talk more like him, pray more like him, behave more like him, handle problems like him? How can I do that today? Pursue Christ above everything else, and I'm telling you, it is the most significant thing, bar none, that you will ever, ever do in your life. There's nothing else, and things will begin to fall in place. You may not be able to see it right now, but they'll fall into place. Could we start playing that? So today, because we've got the different CDC restrictions and things, we've got various things that we don't do. We're not doing the altar services the way we are, normally do, but we want to open the altar today. So would you stand with me, please, as we close this service? Thank you for being here today. 